there's two reasons I'm constructive about the bond market. One is I think we're peaking in long-term yields. The intermediate yields are essentially the same as a long-term yield. But then if you think about a corporate bond, they have gotten more generous. Municipal bonds, those bonds have gotten very inexpensive for one reason primarily, and that is the municipal bond market is owned by individuals. Individuals have looked at their statements over the last quarter, and even though these bonds are not credit problems, this is simply an interest rate adjustment market value, the flows out of bond funds are coming massively into our trading desk every day. That's why we get excited, because it's a buyer's market for us. This is Money Conscious from Millstone Evans Group. I'm your host, Sasha Millstone. Join me as we discuss investing, financial planning, and life. Visit us at millstoneevansgroup.com, and thanks for joining us. Well, I am so excited to have James Kemp joining me today. I've known James most of my career, ever since I joined Raymond James, as a matter of fact. James joined Raymond James in 1997, and he was the vice president of the Fixed Income Research and Mortgage Specialist Groups. Before joining Raymond James, he'd been at a company called Ng Investment Management. He is now Eagle's Fixed Income and Strategic Income Strategist, Managing Director of the area of fixed income and strategic income. And one thing about James is he is the best expert I've ever met at explaining the bond market to normal people like me. (laughs) And so where I wanted to kind of start, James, was I've always wanted to ask you, what got you into the bond business in the first place? Well, Sasha, thank you for the kind words. It's a pleasure to be with you and your guests. I had actually done engineering work in undergraduate, and I was uh, kind of an also ran in the pure engineering world, but I started taking math, statistics, and economics courses and sort of really found my passion in combining quantitative methods with with the markets and the economy. And I went on to graduate business school and that sort of solidified, you know, my interest in these ideas. And as you mentioned, when I started it, as you called it ING or ING, it might be known as it's now had some different name changes, but it's a large, large Dutch money manager insurance operation. My first job was actually modeling fixed income. And this predates You know, when we had financial technology, things like Bloomberg's and the like, this was literally pulling files out of a drawer, building spreadsheets and in the mortgage securities area, building cash flows and the like. So I was able to combine some technical expertise in systems and and, and programming with my love and passion for markets. And the bond market was a natural, just a natural fit for me. As I said a minute ago, I really admire how you're able to translate what can sound like very technical matters in the bond market, just to normal explanations that everyone can understand. I imagine that you have had a very interesting year because this has been a year for the record books, hasn't it? No question about it. I think this last couple of years have been such a unique experience in 
you know, our lives, our society and, and markets. It's been uh, an education even for somebody that's been in a chair as long as I have. And, and I tell the associates that work with me, especially some of the younger associates, which we have the privilege of developing and mentoring. You can listen to me, but just pay attention because a lot's happening right now that you'll remember. <laughs> I bet that's true. Well, you have done a wonderful job building up Eagle Asset Management and especially from the income and growth side, I think adding portfolios that have both dividend-paying stocks as well as bonds was a great innovation and has made a big impact. I wanted to ask you sort of what went into your thought process when you made that innovation and can you talk a little bit about these portfolios that put both dividend-paying stocks and bonds together and why they're so effective? Well, well, thank you for that. Yeah, after the financial crisis, 2008, if we can walk back in time a little bit, we began to notice and expect that the central banks of the world, these low interest rates, were going to be with us for a very long period of time. If you can remember, and I know that the news of the day is inflation, and that's very important, and maybe we can talk about that, but we had this idea of deflation. We had global rates going very low, and sometimes were negative in interest rates. And so as a bond manager in my DNA, I began looking at the world and saying, wait a minute, I deal with individuals, I deal with great financial advisors, the bond market is reacting to these low interest rates by, in many cases, borrowing money at the corporate level and simply taking those proceeds from that borrowings and either increasing dividends, buying back shares of stock, which affects the stock price. And essentially, I was using my client's money to subsidize another part of the capital markets, which had a better return. So fortunately for us, we had an extremely talented and, and deep benched equity income team. And I began to say to myself, is there a way for the individual, because the individual doesn't have a style box, I must be 60% bonds and you know 70% stocks or what, whatever that ratio might be. Is there a way to optimize income around the fact that low interest rates are changing behavior at the corporate level and they're changing behavior at the investor level? And lo and behold, over the last decade, we've proven that to do that holistically and interactively with the dividend team has really added a lot of value. And I think, Sasha, one of the reasons you're such a big supporter is it's also managed the risk. It's managed the downside. Even within the post-financial crisis period, there have been moments where we really liked bonds. And frankly, that moment is right now, for example. And there have been moments, go back to 2021, where the dividend side was accelerating, the income was growing, and we had a bullish outlook on equities. And so the, our ability to modify that allocation has proven very effective in income generating, most importantly, but really not making decisions with client capital that are suboptimal. And, and you've all read about, you, you hear some of the politicians, people buying back stock or 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 simply you know, using the debt market to borrow and, and pay higher and higher dividends. In many cases, that's true. And so we have to realize that these low interest rates have modified the market and modified the corporate behavior. And so this product addresses that head on. Well, you said a lot of important things. One thing is talk a little bit more 
about how putting dividend stocks in a portfolio does help with inflation risk. Perfect point. So in, in the last two years, and this really began with us about 14 months ago, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag on us just a little bit. We were well ahead of the, the reflation inflation regime change. And I call it a regime change because that's exactly what it is. This is a new market. This is a new mindset and price levels are elevated and likely to stay somewhat elevated. So on that end, you know, clients were faced at the teeth of the pandemic with interest rates for 10-year treasuries that were 0.5% or less. At the same time, we had record amounts of stimulus put into the economy, both in terms of direct payments to folks that couldn't work, that were, you know, had to isolate because of the healthcare crisis, and we had the Federal Reserve bringing interest rates down to zero. That was actually an extraordinarily good backdrop for corporate earnings. It was a good backdrop for dividend and dividend growth, but it was a really challenging and will continue to be a challenging market for price levels. So, so you have to lean into the compounding story of dividends when you have a reflating economy. And interestingly, as a style relative to the broad equity markets, the day that Jerome Powell began the conversation of tightening policy and reducing quantitative easing, this is back in September, the dividend side of the equity markets has really been the star performer. I, I, I like to say the way that you hedge risk of energy prices is to own good energy companies because their dividend and their cash flow to shareholders far accelerates past the rate of change of the price of their product. Yeah, I tell people every time in appointments right now that the best performing part of the stock market and the bond market both is dividend paying stocks. And I think people are surprised by that, but they've been, you know, really helpful in portfolios lately and not much has been helpful. No, and it's exactly right. And one of the things about the markets in terms of rising rates that I think a lot of folks, dare I say, that maybe have not been trading or, or doing capital market work as, as long as you and I have, and perhaps one of the reasons I, I, I hope we get more valuable is, is the, the meter runs on, on time. But you know, when you look at what I call the aspirational equities, and I, and I use that term to mean these companies with very high, what we call PE ratios, that have these extraordinary growth targets that they have to hit to justify their stock price, and these growth targets that are way out in the future, as soon as interest rates start moving higher, they get less valuable by, by sort of definition. So when you think about the correction that's happening in some of the, the more growthy technology-oriented stocks, it is not a surprise to us in the face of rising inflation and rising interest rates. Yeah, it's not a surprise. They were very expensive. You said something a few minutes ago that I wanted to go back to, which is you guys are actually excited about opportunities in the bond market, at least in some parts of the bond market. So give a little background to our listeners about what has happened like over the last year in the bond market and why you are excited about it now. So back to 2020 in March, we had a 0.4% 10-year treasury. From that period, with the stimulus that has been put into the economy and some of the other levers that both the Federal Reserve and the congressional leadership have put into the economy, we've got growth restarted and we've got a lot of liquidity and a lot of money out there. And as an effect of that, you have inflation at 40-year highs. And you have interest rates moving higher significantly. And you have to remember 
for fixed income to go from a half a percent two years ago, when it was about one and a half percent on the 10-year Treasury yield to close the year end, to a number like 3%, percentage-wise, is a very big move. The, the corollary to that is for existing bonds, is that interest rate for the new bond that you could buy today is now, say, 3%, give or take, on the 10-year Treasury. The old bond that was at 1.5%, the only way somebody will buy it or, or a market value of that is to discount the price. So as these interest rates have moved higher, sort of the old merchandise, the old bonds that were issued become less valuable relative to the new issue. And so what happened in the first quarter of 2022, because these rate of changes are so proportionately large, even though maybe 1.5% doesn't feel like a lot, that's a 1.5% increase in rates. That's really not necessarily a big deal. It's a very big deal to the price of a long-term bond. And so we've had from a mark-to-market or market value adjustment, the worst bond market quarter that we've had in 40 years. And that has been coincident with a very choppy equity market. So what happens from here? And we have messaged this and we have asset allocated to an underweight and fixed income prior to the the moment that we're speaking is you get a lot of what I call passive outflows from bond funds, bond ETFs, things that are not managed in a separate account or individual assets. And that gives us opportunity. So there's two reasons I'm constructive about the bond market. One is I think we're peaking in long-term yields. The intermediate yields, things like a three-year term, a five-year term, are essentially the same as a long-term yield. So without a lot of interest rate risk, you're getting a, a pretty nice yield in the treasury market. But then if you think about a corporate bond, which has a yield higher than the treasury bond, they have gotten more generous. Municipal bonds, which have the tax benefit, the interest in income is tax-free, those bonds have gotten very inexpensive for one reason primarily, and that is the municipal bond market is owned by individuals. Individuals have looked at their statements over the last quarter, and even though these bonds are not credit problems, this is not 2008, municipal finance is actually in better shape than it was pre-pandemic. This is simply an interest rate adjustment market value. The flows out of bond funds, think supply and demand, are coming massively into our trading desk every day. So as you think about the bond market, think about some traders and analysts looking at screens and there's mutual funds and passive vehicles simply saying, I have liquidations in this fund. I need to fund the liquidations with cash. I need to sell my bond merchandise. And we get to say, okay, that's great, but here's our price. And so Sasha, that's why we get excited because it's a buyer's market for us. And so this point is really key. I think a lot of people may not realize that you, as a bond manager, are operating in a negotiated market. It's not like buying and selling a stock like a a Pfizer or Apple or any stock where no matter where you are in the world, the price of the stock is the price of the stock. I'd like to say that to my equity friends. I said, everyone in this room can agree on the price of Microsoft, but I'm probably the only one even close to the bond price, and I'm probably wrong. <laughs> you got to go to my traders to find the actual level. And, and on top of that, you know, you get the scale of an asset manager. So if we're involved in a, in a bond offering, 
you know, we have some pricing power because we're a larger institution and we get to negotiate that because when, when a client has a, a bond or a, a blended account, the strategic income with the dividend account with us, they may get a piece of a larger trade and that larger trade has an efficient execution because of the scale. Yeah, and that can make a huge difference over time in a client's portfolio. You you know, I have talked to you and some of the people that work for you about how on Friday afternoons, you know, they're out there waiting for, you know, being able to get a great price on something that the person on the other side really wants to sell it. You have those kinds of opportunities and can leverage that to help clients' returns very nicely. Absolutely. And and one of the things that is happening with short-term interest rates, we know that the Federal Reserve has raised rates a half a percent. They're going to raise again in June. They're likely going to raise again in July because of these inflation data. But if you think about the way that dealers work with bonds, and I'm going to get a little nuanced here, but they typically finance their positions. So think about somebody that has inventory, and the inventory in this case is bonds, and they finance that inventory, it could be cars, it could be anything, at a fixed rate that's very, very low, their appetite for that inventory is high because their financing costs are not, not very high. But as these short-term interest rates move up, they, they ha- their financing costs of their inventory go higher and they need to clean up inventory. They need to get rid of stuff. So the so stuff goes on sale that I buy is, a, is a, a way to say it. So your folks are optimistic about bonds, but in particular, you said municipal bonds, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And we have to remember that crisis equals opportunity. And I think what you just described where some individual investors, they may not be working with an advisor, or they may just feel frustrated or a little scared because they see the prices down when they look at their statement. But it's so important to work with a professional who can assess the broader situation. Right now, crisis does equal opportunity in a lot of places. Remember that back in 2018, I'm going back a little bit, we we got to a 3.2% on the 10-year. That was a period of time where we thought the Fed was going to continue to tighten and rates were, you know, the, the pundits, if you will, the financial press, because rates were high, they're going to continue to go higher. That's the extrapolation that naive media often does. And lo and behold, from that moment, it was the best bond market we've ever had. So it matters where you enter. It matters the yields that are prevailing at the time. Things like dollar cost averaging all make sense. But ultimately, ultimately, for income investors, of which I'm going to be one, we're all going to be one at some point in our investment horizons, the landscape just got more generous and more productive. Sasha, to your point, the dividend landscape is very productive. That's income. That's income compounding. The bond market has gotten more productive. Yields are higher and more generous. Municipal bonds, yields are higher and more generous. So as painful as ripping the Band-Aid off, if you will, on interest rates year-to-date has been, over the next five or 10 years, everyone that's an income client is in a better position than they were three or four months ago. It just doesn't feel like it. That's such a great point. Before we leave dividend paying stocks, one more thing. Can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing in the way of of companies increasing their dividends, which is an inflation fighter too? You've got the stock price plus the increases on the dividend. And this goes back, Sasha, to process and security analysis. 
everyone in that's listening to this broadcast knows about the inflation issue. They know about the labor market tightness. They know about wages. So the companies that are positioned with what we call pricing power and have good management and good labor policies, because look, COVID changed the landscape. Work from home is here. The, the going back to the office is anachronistic. We are very conscious of how companies are managing labor and how they're managing margin and price. And if you select the right companies in the right industries, that dividend stream that you have year to date and the names that we own, the ones that have reported, have compounded at a 12% growth rate on the dividend. In 2021, which was a full year cycle, I think 35 of 37 stocks that we owned increased and the average increase was 10%. So I like to go back, my father was a mathematician, that's probably why I ended up in engineering school. But Albert Einstein once said, the eighth wonder of the world is the power of compound interest. And that's what happens with some of these dividend payers. Before we leave the subject, can you give us a little insight also into another portfolio Eagle Runs, which is the ESG bond portfolio. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, a friend and colleague that I've worked with for a number of years, Sheila King, who's one of our portfolio managers, you know, approached me with, with the idea and, and the necessity to explore the uh, environmental and social and governance part of the investment universe. And this was a period of time, frankly, three years ago, where I was a little bit skeptical. I was concerned that there was a lot of lip service being paid to these ideas, very important as they are, and, and nothing really there there. And so my challenge to the team, and the challenge was accepted and, and handled beautifully by Sheila and the analysts that we have, Ellen and, and others, was to come up with something that was meaningful, to come up with something in, in the modeling standpoint that when we invested in a municipal or corporate fixed income, that there was there was rigorous and repeatable and objective screening for how we were going to treat ESG, ESG, and social awareness. And I think we have built one of the best bond models for that. The process permeates into some equities as well. We have the ESG offering and the strategic income. But the first and foremost is we have a great champion and Sheila and her team. And we have a great process in something that when advisors and clients say, okay, a lot of people are, are putting up the banner on the marquee. What are you really doing? And I've even seen in our municipal research analysts, when a new municipal bond comes, they will reach out to the obligor or the issuer and say, by the way, we would buy this bond if you would address X, Y, and Z. That's the kind of thing that capital markets can and should be doing to help many of the, the causes and issues that we all care about. It's in its infancy, but we are off to a great start. And we want to make sure that clients know that Eagle, Carillon Tower, the firm proper is extremely focused on these issues. We have a full-time director of these investment strategies, um, Joy Fagos, who joined us uh, two or three years ago, responsible for reporting, for monitoring, for compliance, and for keeping us all up to date on trends and best practices in this space. Well, you know, James, I'm not sure you're aware of this, but when I first joined Raymond James, I was one of the first people in the country that was doing what at the time we called socially responsible investing. And I got the nickname of the socialist investor. So I've come a long way now. <laughs> you were, what did they say? You were country before country was cool? You were, yeah. you were ESG before it was cool. I, I, I Somehow I believe that, Sasha. Yeah. 
So to wrap up a little bit, two things. First of all, I think I heard you say that even though it's painful now, you think six months from now or so, people will be pleased with purchases they may have made in the income space. I believe that sincerely, and I will tell you that COVID has compressed time. And if you'll let me sort of walk through the analogy, we had the sharpest and quickest drawdown in equity market history. We had the largest and most powerful fiscal and monetary response in history, the sharpest rebound in markets in history. And now we have the largest price move in history. The Fed will tamp this down. Unfortunately, there's going to be some demand destruction that happens. In other words, one way to get inflation under control is to slow aggregate demand, which means economy slow for a period of time. We will adjust. We will modify as we have. We will pivot. And this time next year, maybe middle part of 2023, the interest rate cycle will probably reverse itself. So the things that used to happen over a cycle that was seven to 10 years are happening very quickly. And so we will exit this period of tight credit conditions as quickly as we entered it. And that's why I think this is the peaking process you want to take advantage of. That makes sense to me. The other thing that's happening right now is that we're in one of these phases of a cycle where we're getting rid of a lot of fluff, <laughs> a lot of stuff that probably isn't really healthy for the long run. I wanted to try something. I just want to read you a couple of recent quotes that I saw in articles and just get your immediate reaction to these things, okay? The lightning round. <laughs> okay. Yeah, lightning round. So Uber CEO tells staff company will cut down on costs, treat hiring as a privilege. Interesting. I mentioned with our dividend style, management and labor relations are very important in our analysis of companies. What was an interesting app and probably brilliant model fails utterly when labor is treated as labor is treated. And I would be very skeptical of that particular investment, if you will, because of those reasons. The model doesn't work. Agreed. Another headline I, I thought was interesting. Goldman Sachs is shrinking its SPAC business amid regulatory crackdown and market turmoil. So the SPAC phenomena is one of many. And as I have been in this business for 30 plus years, I will tell you that low interest rates, as I've mentioned, modify behavior. They also make things that are illusionary appear real because financing costs and nowhere else to go, quote unquote, with money is what people fall into. And, you know, you, you have a situation where, you know, people were using the S&P ETF as a money market fund and they were throwing capital at anything that appeared to have a return because the cost of that capital was de minimis. So as we get more rational in the rate cycle and more rational in the cost of capital, proof has to be there and proof has to be in earnings and proof has to be in cash flow, not hopes and dreams. And you're probably going to ask me about this, but I do say every cycle, there's always something that makes me go, hmm. And I will tell you in this cycle, it was when I saw a JPEG of a gray rock sell for half a million dollars. And I said, hmm. 
<laughs> and that was the top. <laughs> yeah, that was the top. <laughs> One more headline. 40% of Bitcoin investors are now underwater. New data shows. Yes. Yeah, so the crypto phenomena, if you will, has roots in technologies that are going to be helpful. And I speak of things like blockchain and the like in terms of the underbanked, which there are many on our globe. There are many. I am very happy and excited about um, distributed finance as it relates to things like allowing lower income people access to banking services so they don't have to go to you know, usurious check cashing places and the like. There is a global need for these kind of things. Everybody on planet Earth pretty much that has an income has a phone. And so this blockchain technology, I think, is going to be very powerful. The idea that a byte and a bit serves as money, as a store of value with volatility, as we have seen, is at this moment, and I believe is going to be proved to be nonsense. When you look at your currency, it says this currency is legal tender. The government doesn't want competition for currency. And I think that this is a symptom of easy money, not a solution to easy money. What a great answer. James, thank you so much for joining me today. You're always thought-provoking, and I always feel somewhat enlightened when I leave a conversation with you. Now, you're coming to Colorado next year, right? Very excited. Yes, ma'am. And so maybe I can get you to stop by for lunch and talk to a few of our folks. Would be my pleasure. And thank you so much for the welcome, as always, Sasha. And have a wonderful weekend. And to your guests, thank you for your interest and for uh, allowing me to opine on these topics, because I'm not allowed to talk about this at home, because apparently it gets a little boring for my wife and family. (laughs) (laughs) Have a great weekend, James. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Money Conscious. Visit us at millstoneevansgroup.com. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Sasha Millstone. Sasha Millstone is the president and an investment advisor with the Millstone Evans Group, a registered investment advisor located in Colorado. All opinions expressed by Sasha and her podcast guests on this show are their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Millstone Evans Group. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.